Kristen, listeners, we're getting a late start this week. Um, a lot happened last week, including, as, as you may know, um, the bombings in Boston uh, at the Boston Marathon, um, which took Kristen away from her um, – Slightly less important seeming, I guess, duties. Oh, as movies a, are always important, Rafer. <laughs> as a movie critic, I feel like when you're covering the the you know one of the biggest bombings that you know America has seen in quite a while, it's you're excused for not coming over here to <laughs> coming over here to movie date. Um, so here we are on Monday, trying to catch up, um, and we're going to cover uh, Oblivion, the Tom Cruise sci-fi bonanza, and we'll also uh, cover a slightly smaller movie that's expanding now. The Company You Keep, um, the 60s radical drama thriller uh, with Robert Redford and Shia LaBeouf. LaBeouf. Is that how you pronounce it? LaBeouf. I don't know. I feel like I get it wrong every time he's in a movie. I'm pretty sure Shia, I'm pretty sure that pronunciation is right, but I think it's, you know, I will just say LaBeouf. Okay. How's that? LaBeouf. 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 But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. So let's start our let's let's start off first with um, the company you keep. So this is uh, Robert Redford's ninth film as a director. He's directing himself as a lawyer named Jim Grant, who's being investigated uh, by a young reporter named Ben Shepard, played by Shia LaBeouf. Because you're sympathetic to their cause? You agree with her tactics? You know, clearly you have some kind of an agenda here. I don't have time to this I don't actually. I don't care much for either side. So what, that makes you fair and balanced? You know, it's a funny thing. 30 years ago, a smart guy like you probably would have been involved with the movement yourself. I hope you get what you're looking for, kid. Take care. Well, wow. I wow. I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say that it turns out that Jim Grant, well-respected Albany lawyer, I'm not sure why this movie takes place in Albany. And uh, a single dad. And a single dad uh, of uh, a young girl played by uh, Jackie Avancho, who I actually thought was quite um, uh, quite charming. Yeah, she was great. Yeah, she's, she's like 11 years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it turns out, of course, that um, he is not merely a well-respected lawyer. He is actually a former member of the Weather Underground, the 60s radical, some would say terrorist uh, group, um, spl- a splinter group, I think, from the SDS, Students for a Democratic Society. Anti-war, willing Anti-war. to use violence to show that violence doesn't belong on the American agenda. Right, right. Some inherent problems in that um, <laughs> dogma. But there you go. They did it. Um, you know, a few bombings, blew up some buildings, blew up some statues, blew up themselves occasionally. Um, probably most notorious for a bank robbery by some former members in, in 1981 that ended up with three people dead. Um, so, uh, Kristen, did you know much about the Weather Underground, this whole this whole super radical splinter group of a very radical time? Did you know much about them? I think I knew about as much as you just said. Okay. And I think, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the movie didn't necessarily teach me anything more about the Weather Underground than I already knew. Oh, okay. Um, did it teach you more about the Weather Underground? No, not really. I don't think it taught me more, but I I do think it's it's 
clearly, although the weather underground was real, they're sometimes called the weathermen. Um, and they did, which I, I never knew this, they actually, as far as I can tell, did take their name from that famous uh, Bob Dylan line. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. Mm. I never knew that. Um, but um, that's not in the movie. <laughs> I got that from Wikipedia. But um, I think it's supposed to be a fictionalized account of what it could have been like, you know, what it might have been like to be a part of the weather underground. Um, and I think this movie is almost more concerned with what it's like to have once been a radical and now be part of, in some sense, the system. Now yeah, you're, you're all in your 60s. You have kids. You drive an SUV. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Everyone's making the morning lunch for their children. The kids are going off to school. Everything looks normal. They all live in nice houses. Yeah. You know, it's nice being a cleaned up radical in the, in the <laughs> aftermath. It's like, yeah. <laughs> right. I like suburban living. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, sure. Uh, what did you What did you think of this film? What, what, what would you say were its strong points? Let's start with the acting. There's a, a kind of a... Although there's really only two or three main, uh, well, it is star packed though. It's we have star packed. To say, we have to That's say the, the movie. Thing. The movie opens with Susan Sarandon. Right. Nowadays, modern times, turning herself in, saying, "I was a member of the Weather Underground. Right. I know that I look like just a suburban mom, but I'm not. Right. Uh, I was a radical. This is what I did." And that gets all of the motion of the film going, the Susan Sarandon turning herself in. And then we already know Robert Redford's in it, Shia LaBeouf as the <laughs> gumshoe reporter who just really wants to break the story. Yes. Uh, we Anna have Kendrick is in it briefly. As an FBI agent and her boss, uh, Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard. Shia, yeah. Shia LaBeouf's boss is Stanley Tucci. Um, as, as Shia continues to explore the story, he will meet uh, Brendan Gleeson and Britt Marling. <laughs> and Julie Christie. And Julie Christie will show up. Yeah. Uh, so quite a cast. And I actually thought everybody in it was really good. Uh, even the even the excuse me even the smaller roles uh, such you know Anna Kendrick is barely on screen but I think she's very good everyone I think is quite good in the film yeah I thought everyone did a great job of acting and I think that you know the weather underground maybe just because of what was happening in the world last week to me seemed so timely I was just really because of th- Boston because of Boston I was thinking about real world events real bombings I mean the weather underground real bombings the real bombings in Boston and. And young people who think they're working for a cause. And it really, I don't know, everything seemed all kind of wrapped up into one package in my mind in a way. So I couldn't really just watch the film based on its own merits. I tried to. I tried to just watch the film for what it was. Did you feel like, um, did you like it? Do you feel like it said anything to you? Did you and do you feel like it it worked as a, uh, to me, I, it's selling itself as a thriller. I think it's a little bit more of a drama thriller than an action yeah, thriller. But would, what, what did you think of it? I agree with you. And I also think that, there was a certain point where I'm like, do I really need Shia LaBeouf in this movie? <laughs> I don't know if I need him in this movie. I understand what he's doing. It's almost like an old-fashioned 1940s, look, I'm an investigative reporter who's going to break this story. I'm going to break it wide open. Right. It's all me. It's all me. Nobody trusts me. Nobody knows me. I'm just a kid, but I'm a kid with gumption. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the movie was trying to be. But I also felt like I didn't really need him. I would, yeah. have been, I would have been totally fine if it was just Robert Redford is on the run. There might be more to the story than it looks like. And I didn't really need it through the filter of Shia LaBeouf. And I think that the movie ran a little bit longer than it needed to. Uh, that's true. 
it was over two hours long. Yeah. And if it would have just been shown through the lens of Robert Redford, I think I would have enjoyed it more. I think Shia LaBeouf's character, um, who, by the way, and it, as far as movie reporters go, struck me as one of the more realistic ones I've seen recently. And I was also happy to see Shia LaBeouf playing this kind of unattractive character. He's got this horrible little post-adolescent <laughs> mustache, which I love. Um, and he's very rumpled and he's a little bit pushy and self-aggrandizing and annoying. Um, you and I are both journalists. We're used to those people. Uh, that's what I said. We I are like, those people. I know that guy. I know that guy. I might be that guy. Um, you know, he's always carrying this crappy messenger bag with him. You know, I have that bag. Um <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost as badly dressed as he is. Maybe I more. Wear that, I wear that hoodie every day. <laughs> right. Uh, and he was really good. And I thought Stanley Tucci, as his editor at the uh, Albany Sun Times, I think it is in the in the movie, uh, they have a good rapport. It, it felt real for the most part. I think Shia's character is there to be the the younger, you know, millennial generation's perspective, who kind of doesn't know and doesn't care that much about what the 60s were about. And, you know, these guys, all, you know, Redford and oh, we forgot about Richard Jenkins and Nick oh, Nolte yes. who also show up. Redford and all these other post, you know, post 60s former radicals are all, you know, uh, still trying to grapple with this question about, you know, the system and the man and the cause and, you know, the fighting the good fight and Shia LaBeouf, you know, ah, what does he care? And And I actually thought he brought a little something to the story in that sense um, because I really think that where the movie really works is when Robert Redford is on the lam and just finding bit by bit old colleagues, you know, old guys who used to be part of the cause and now are have just kind of blended themselves into the woodwork. They've all made their separate piece with, you know, with the man, right? Uh, and Richard Jenkins is now a history professor teaching Marx. You know, Nick Nolte is now running a lumberyard. And I thought ultimately – it was a pretty good, solid drama, and it and it did a good job of trying of asking what I thought was asking the question, you know, what's when you grow up, you know, what happens? What what happens to those idealistic, youthful causes? Do you do you really realize your the error of your ways, or do you do you just give up? Do you just give up and stop fighting? And that's kind of the 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 core question of the film. And I feel like if you're a boomer, if you're a baby boomer, or if you're anyone who's ever been part of any counterculture movement when you were younger, I think this movie might resonate with you. Do you know what I mean? And doesn't everybody like to think they were in a little well, bit exactly. of a way? Exactly. I mean, we right. all like to think that we were doing something that was kind of counterculture. Right. In a way. When we were in high school or college in our younger years, we all like to do that. We all like yeah. to think that we did that. So. You don't, and you don't have to have actually gone underground and blown up a building to feel like you were kind of part of something. Um, you know, most people didn't. Um, but I still feel like, yeah, like you could identify with this idea of being a radical. And, uh, um, you know, and I, I, I mentioned this in my review. I got some letters from people who were offended by my review and they felt that I was giving um, – that I was sympathizing too much uh, or condoning in some way the weather underground, which I, I, I certainly wasn't. And I think the film itself does not clearly condone the actions of you know, people who are killing you know, guards and policemen and bank robberies and, and blowing people up and causing deaths. I, I think it's just a larger question of what it was like to fight – to fight a fight and then stop. Um, and yeah, I thought it was but, interesting. I like I liked the movie. To me, to me, I, I gave it three stars. I thought it was a pretty solid, good date. I thought it was pretty good too. Like I said, I could have done without the Shia LaBeouf. I think yeah. that it does a great job of showing people choosing different paths because not every character does give up on the fight. True. And 
some characters really believe in the fight still, but still live suburban lives. Some people really believe in the fight and are still living like radicals. And right. Some of them, just nice people in your neighborhood. <laughs> right. Just nice folks at the PTA meeting. You know. Right. Exactly. You know the way it goes. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'd say it was a pretty good date. I wouldn't say it was a great date. No. Pre- pretty good, though. No. Okay. I would agree. I agree. All right. Should okay. We, should, should we talk about our other date this week? That would be Oblivion. I've been watching you, Jack. You're curious. What are you looking for in those books? Do they bring back old memories? You won't get anything from me. My memory's been wiped to protect the security, security of the mission. You can't have your precious memory falling into the wrong hands now, can you? You just repair drones. Don't go into the radiation zone. Don't ask too many questions. Not part of the job description. Now, Rafe, I, I have to point out something. Yes? <laughs> I didn't know anything about this movie before, so I, I usually try to avoid trailers. Um, oh, Okay. Because I, I try to go into each movie fresh with no preconceived notions. But you told me beforehand, Kristen, this movie looks just like Wally. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I saw I saw the trailers and I thought, wait, this looks exactly like Wally. It's it's Tom Cruise as a, a drone repairman. He's got one job to do. He's he's on a on a future abandoned, blighted earth. It's been evacuated. There's nobody left. Um, he's just wandering around and, uh, on his missions, he uh, collects little keepsakes just like Wally does that, you know, have a sort of a human touch to them, sunglasses, a Yankees cap, a stuffed animal, takes them back to his little home away from home, his little secret hideaway bunker in Wally. It was a storage container here. It's a little cabin he's built on a lake. He's got, you know, instead of listening to Hello Dolly, like Wally did, he listens to Led Zeppelin and Procol Harum and classic rock. He's got Rio, I think, Duran Duran's Rio <laughs> in his vinyl collection where he found that. I don't know. Um, nice to know that album will survive. Mm, yeah, um, love that album. <laughs> yeah, as, as do I. Uh, and then, of course, um, he even finds a plant and waters a plant just like just Wally. Just like Wally. Just like in Wally. In a little old soup can. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, he doesn't have a cockroach for a companion. He has an actual human wife in, in Oblivion played by Andrea Riseborough, who I thought was very good. But then, of course, his true love played by Olga Kurylenko drops out of the sky just like Eve and Wally. And she'll take him to a new world that he never expected uh, to exist and which, of course, must be destroyed just like in Wally. So here's what I'm saying. This movie is essentially Pixar's Wally with Tom Cruise as the robot. Well, I, I'm going to semi agree with you, Ray. For, okay. okay, okay. It's very much like Wally. The whole setup is a lot like Wally. But as soon as wife drops from the sky, it quickly turns into the Matrix. Yeah, I disagree you with you. You have a black, the only non white character in, the, in <laughs> the future. The future has nobody who is not white except for our one black character who is going to be a godlike figure. Played by who Who else but Morgan Freeman. God, yes. And so much like The Matrix, you have your godlike figure who's played by a black person, the only minority in the future. You have I, – I hope I'm not ruining anything here. But you actually have a scene where there are a whole bunch of humans growing in pods like things that are – Oh, yes, yes, that that's right. It looks like it was just completely ripped off from – 
the Matrix. And, and, the, and the, the, one, the one, to me, the one real visual cue from the Matrix is that Morgan Freeman has clearly stolen Lawrence Fishburne's sunglasses. Those, <laughs> those are Lawrence Fishburne's sunglasses, and I, I, he would like them back. Or at least the studio proper would probably like them back. Um, so, okay, and, I agree and with I, you and on And then there. I do think some of the chase scenes were ripped off from Star Wars. From Star Wars, yeah. yeah. And, and I would say also there are actual scenes that I think were completely lifted from Top Gun. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Like you know, what? Like, you're a loose cannon. Get back here. Oh, you're yeah. not going to go out there and do that. <laughs> oh, yeah? Watch me. <laughs> that, Tom Cruise, that, that, 50 that, years old, still playing the young, <laughs> cocky guy in the fighter jet. You're right. And you're he, right about he, that. And, Man. and I think that speech happens like six times in the movie, which I'm like, this is just like Top Gun. And I know because I just saw Top Gun 3D a couple months ago. That's right. You did. Yes. So I would say that... It's borrowing from a lot of movies. You think it's mostly Wally? I think it's a mashup of great cinema of all of these movies. <laughs> well, and I, I would also throw in um, a little bit of two thousand one in there. Um, you mean their white outfits? Yes, the white <laughs> the white outfits and all the white on white color schemes of the of the the the, the planes, the weaponry, the the apartment that he lives in with uh, Andrea Riseborough. Um, yeah. So, and you brought up a point where um, that I think is really the main point about Oblivion, which is that. Um, the speech, the speech of, you know, get back here, you young cocky guy, that's repeated about six times. Just about everything in this movie is repeated about <laughs> six times. And I really feel like if there's anything that drags this movie down, it's it's the slow, repetitive scenes. The pacing is really sluggish. They repeat the same beat over and over. Melissa Leo plays a, a, an, an off-site Commander. Uh, commander who you know, appears on a screen and keeps a- asking Tom Cruise and his wife, are you an effective team? And the wife keeps says, yes. You know, she keeps saying, we are an effective team. They repeat that, they repeat that line, are you an effective team? I, it has to be in the movie five times. And I just feel like you know, it's screenwriting 101. Three is the magic number, right? You do it once, you do it twice. The third time something goes wrong, that's – then we get the picture and the movie keeps going. Not the fourth time, not the fifth time. You don't have to wait to the sixth time before something goes wrong. We get the pattern. Two is good enough for a pattern. And um, I just found the movie really, really slow and boring. Well, it is over two hours long also. Again, it's about 210, yeah. And, not, and, and I just but have it to feels point out, much I, longer. I saw both these movies back to back. Wow. So, so I sat for five hours in movie theaters. Wow, Kristen. Because I love movie dates so much that I, I needed to do it. I needed to. Good for you. But this movie I thought was, you know, I, I know what you're saying about the repetitive nature of certain things, but... I, I did like how it looked. Did you like how it looked? It looks it looks really good. It has a really nice look. The again, to, going back to two thousand one uh, and all this sort of white on white look that the movie has, gives it a really nice, unusual, airy feel for especially for a movie that's set in a post apocalypse future, which usually looks sort of, you know, brown, r- gray, yeah, blue, up. right? Yeah. Um, and this movie has a very nice, uh, you know, it has an it has an open light, modern neat kind of look to it. And and the weaponry, the equipment looks really cool. Tom Cruise's little whirly glider is really cool looking. It's kind of it's kind of whirly delicate. And, right? You know, it's got these little sort of you know, I don't know how to describe it other than that, but it it's it's delicate and streamlined rather than big and bulky and macho. And I thought that was kind of cool. But um it's such a drag to see this movie. I was I was I was sitting with two people at a promo screening and um they noticed I was a critic because I was writing furiously, and the 
the guy and his and his girlfriend could be wife, I don't know, but the guy the guy leaned over and slapped me on the shoulder, and I turned over and looked at him, and he just looked at me and made this thumbs down sign. They both left, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was halfway through the movie, and I just thought, God, I'm kind of with you, man. I mean, this thing is just dragging on and on, and there are at least two more plot twists that just go nowhere and make no sense and and are completely irrelevant. I mean, I gave it two stars out of four. Uh, really, like you were saying, Kristen, just because of the look, because it looks yeah, so good. Yeah, it looks great. And if you're into something that's just like, oh, there's shooting, there's chasing, there's beautiful future, there's, you know. Yeah, but the chase scenes are dumb too. <laughs> when he's being chased by these futuristic, like, ammo-loaded drones that can do anything, and instead of instead of just blowing him up with a well-aimed laser, they start crashing into him like – like days of thunder, like 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 race cars on a racetrack. Dumb. It's dumb. <laughs> but what if you want to see a movie that is borrowing from every other movie you've ever seen? Yeah. Well, then this is it. You can see this movie, and you might really enjoy that. I would and, say go see Olympus Has Fallen if that's oh. what, <laughs> if that's what you want to see. <laughs> Well, I don't think this was a great date. I think it's kind of a forgettable date. Yeah. But I would still say I, I think I liked it a little bit more than you. I think so. I'm, yeah, I'm I, really surprised yeah, by that. I, I think it was fun. I mean, yes, there are a lot of problems with it. Yes, Tom Cruise's romantic interests are young enough to be his daughters. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there are a lot of problems with this movie, but – I also think I thought it was a fine date. I'll be darned. I, yeah. I, I totally expected you to just snooze your way right through that one. Yeah. I, okay. I would say uh, I would say pretty bad date myself. All right. Okay. Well, I guess we're we're just going to have to disagree about that. I one. guess we will. Okay. What else is new, Kristen? All right. So, um, Kristen. Uh, so we have. Uh, I think somebody out there in uh, in the the universe got our trivia question correct. Yes, we. Uh, a lot of people got our trivia question right. Actually, the question was. Many people have depicted Jackie Robinson in made-for-television movies and feature films. But who is the first person to play Jackie Robinson in a Jackie Robinson biopic? Now, a lot of people got this right, but the first person to call in with the right answer was, we hope we have your name right, Franz from Brooklyn. Hey, Rayford, Kristen. Real easy question this week. I'm Franz from Brooklyn. And Jackie Robinson was the first person to play Jackie Robinson in the Jackie Robinson story. Oh, I'll say I'll say that's Franz. That sounds like Franz to me. Oh, great job, Franz. And we yeah. love that you're from Brooklyn, the Dodgers, home of the Dodgers. That's right. That's yeah. right. Just like Jackie Robinson. So we, we loved that. We also had a bonus trivia question on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movie date podcast. And the bonus trivia question was, a famous baseball movie included, one, a male lead who gained 30 pounds for his role, and two, a stand-in to do the splits for the female lead. We asked you to name both the leads and the movie, and the first person to write in was Ken, saying that would be Tom Hanks gaining weight and Gina Davis getting doubled for that sliding split catch in a league of their own, which is Absolutely correct, Ken. Great job. Nice work, Ken. Um, okay, so this week's trivia question will uh, will 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 play off of the uh, company you keep. Um, the real Weather Underground back in 1970 uh, blew up a townhouse in uh, Greenwich Village. Um, 
I, f- I forget why or what that was supposed to – I forget what, what, the, what the protest was about. Yeah, but don't they, ask me. All I know is what the know, movie tells me. Yeah. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but the real Weather Underground did blow up a real townhouse in Greenwich Village. This was in 1970. What movie star just happened to live next door? And we'll give you a hint. He also starred rather famously in a film with Tom Cruise. If you know the answer, uh, give us the movie star and give us the uh, the Tom Cruise film he starred in. Uh, give us a call, 5717movies. Or log on to facebook.com slash movie date podcast. Keep a clean nose, wash the plain clothes. You don't need a weatherman to know it's where the wind blows. Oh, get sick, get well, hang around the inkwell. Hang a bell, hot to tell if anything is going to sell. Try hard, get boxed, get back, ride rail, get jailed, jump bail. Join the army at the Look out, kid, you're gonna get hit by losing.